Welcome to Sideshow Hustle, the uncut analysis with Katie Wilkie. A quick intro, Katie's a social media, public relations and crisis management veteran and has been working with some of Australia's largest companies. Today, we're going to deep dive on episode one of Sideshow Hustle featuring the amazing Jen Painter and her Felix yoga strap. Welcome, Katie. Good morning. Uh, to get us going, what were some of the things that stood out in Jen's episode that you liked? The thing I actually loved the most about it is that she she's found through her experience that there is no rule book to starting. I actually think one of the barriers people think there is is that there's a way to do something. And throughout all my experience, throughout crisis PR, throughout social media campaigns, and we've worked with big businesses and a lot of small businesses, there is no rule book. You just have to find a way to make it work. And, and Jen has figured that out all on her own. Yeah, I, I think that like there's probably some essentials people need, right? Like they need to you know, figure out how to do bookkeeping, all the basic stuff. But like that can also come later. I think just throwing yourself in and however you get your inspiration, in her case, she got a lightning strike. She's uh, there was kind of the hilarious moment in the episode one where I described her lying on a floor with a strap trying to stretch <laughs> her leg. Um, and yeah, like inspiration can come from anywhere. And then for me, like her resourcefulness of she found like a maker space. Uh, she in a library. That's where she did all of her prototyping. You know, this is not this is low budget to zero dollar kind of stuff. The cost is her time. And um, yeah, I thought that level of resourcefulness and doing all of her own stuff, I thought was amazing and to your exact point the rule book sometimes people will say oh you gotta only focus on the stuff that you're strong at and your weaknesses you outsource those and like there's a set of rules that jen's gone well i've got an inquisitive mind and i just want to run with it so and i thought the exact same thing listening to your interview i mean she didn't know how to make a prototype she just went and figured it out and the talk about the um men's shed actually gave me a bit of a giggle because i don't I don't think there's necessarily a barrier to going into those type of places, but I don't think they're the type of places for innovation um, in my experience of going to their open days and whatnot. And so the way that she even went about that is what was suited to her project. And I had the thought that, oh, someone else might have given that project, you know, on a, on a Fiverr campaign or on a, they would have outsourced it. But by knowing her product so intimately, she's in the, the best position to market it as well. I mean, mm. when, when I said that about no rule book, I also mean like what you said, like the bookkeeping and all of that will come, getting an ABN, all of that stuff works out in the process when you look back maybe over the first 12 months of starting something. But there is no there is no singular pathway that says you must do X, Y, and Z. And sure, people can lay it out to make it easier, but if that's not what suits you and your product development timeframe, your network, your contacts, you kind of have to jump on opportunities when you have them. And that's what I thought, when, even when she said she found the Maker Library, like, and she joined up another library and she joined up this, she's just rolling with it and making, like you said, she's so incredibly resourceful to make it work. Mm. I also liked how she she's testing the market and she's getting positive feedback. So she said that she went to a yoga festival and then she did a survey, which I thought was quite clever. She got a survey and dropped it into where there's a bunch of her target customers to seek their feedback on where they stood with like sustainability and all those sorts of things. And that effectively helped to build a database. And that would have been quite rewarding because immediately she's getting validation that my idea is okay, which is then gets, gets her excited to keep going the next step, the next step. And that's in my mind, really vital in these early days of a side hustle, you can have these great ideas, but if you're toiling in your back room trying to build these insane products 
and you're going for six months and you're not getting any validation, most people just quit. It's like, it's boring. You lose your motivation. You've lost your edge. Whereas she seems to have got bits of validation the whole way through all the way up to like the platform she chooses to launch on. She chooses a crowdfunding platform, which I also like because if it turns out that only one other person in the world thinks that this is a good idea, she hasn't blown $20,000 to figure out what the hell's going on. Mm, just on the point of the, it's not just validation that she's getting from doing those things. The survey actually lends itself to a great PR angle. I mean, she can use that data to do a media release. She can use it to pitch to her relevant journals. She can use it to do social posts. It's actually given her some data to feed back to her audience, an angle that... Mm to reassure them of their choices. It's, it's what we call a content circle. So you interview your database and then you create a pitch out of it and feed it back to your own audience and it reassures them that they're on the right pathway with their thoughts and choices. <clears throat> and so she's, she's giving herself her first PR angle there as well. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't explore that with her in the podcast, but yeah, if she, if she was to go back and look at that survey where it says that, you know, 90% of people surveyed want the exactly. products they buy to be sustainable or be, I don't know, have a feel-good element to it. Like, you, you're mean, sort of can, saying... She can use that in two ways. She can either go back and use it through business media about and explore her her journey to starting up and use it as part of that pitch, or she can use it to target market and go back to her yogi media contacts and, and, and websites and influencers and use it to directly to sell back to her own audience. And she's already got... she's organically collected the data as part of her um, side hustle startup. Like she's, it, it, she's already got the data. She may as well use it. Yeah. Okay. One of the things in social media that social media experts talk about is transferring audiences. So, you know, Jen's got a product, it's yoga related, it's this strap. And then she's trying to find an audience. So, so imagine she's got no audience that she goes to like a yoga group and tries to figure out a gorilla way of just, instead of just posting in the shop and go, who wants to buy one? And everyone's like, you know, reporting it as spam and hate <laughs> messages. How do you get into these groups sort of gorilla style and start to transfer those audiences to your audience? So I think that has to be done authentically. And you're talking to a an old PR bird here that, that truly believes in community. I think people are invested in the things they know and love. And I think, you know, there are some big um, business groups online and social media and you can't just infiltrate them on a day. You can't randomly pop up one day and post something you expect to get a lot of love. And I don't, even from an algorithm perspective, those posts tend to get lost. You have to be building your profile in them as you go so that when you then you are ready to ask a survey question or you are ready to ask and the, the things that work so well in those groups are um asking option a or option b they just go off every time like a poll they just you, you put up two options and people just want to vote um but they tend to do well for people that are regular posters that give back to the communities they're in that's interesting about asking the question isn't it because i think that if you ask a question a or b Instead of people thinking, oh man, this, this post is a bit spammy and trying to sell me some crap, your brain is immediately trying to answer the question. Yep. 
and trying to be helpful and contribute and add value. And, and, and particularly in the groups where people are invested in the topic, would be it yoga or business or surfing, whatever it is, it, people are invested and they've got an opinion. If we were spitballing on this particular idea, how, like how you would try to do this into one of these groups? There's a couple of ways that I would do it personally. First of all, I would be very present in the group I'm trying to infiltrate. And I mean that sincerely. I would go there and I would spend time engaging with people, offering feedback on other people's posts. Then admins and the regular posters are seeing who you are and you're building that profile in that community. And then I would go to the group with a problem. And I would say, here's my problem. I've got packaging option A or B, or I've got logo A and B. Um, and I would make it a simple vote and, and a poll and, and people, people love to vote. Hey, it's Matt here. I really love that tip, putting in a poll and asking for people's opinion. I've used it quite a few times after this interview and it really works. It lights up a community. If you love that tip, you're going to love what's coming next. After the interview, I asked Katie, what else can she do to help hustlers that are in a DIY mindset to turbocharge their public relations campaign and get into mass media? Katie has kindly offered 20 of her PR packs. These things are worth over $500 a piece. So there's 20 of those up for grabs. First in, best dress gets them. And for five people who want a consultation with her, she's going to give a free one-on-one ask her anything. So there's five of those up for grabs. That's a first in, best dressed. All right, let's get back to the episode. I would also be looking at those groups to see who is commenting all the time. And if you want to talk true gorilla, I would I would be finding the people that are, are prolific commenters in the bigger groups and then I'd DM them and ask them if I could send them my product. And it, it's a slow burn and it might not result in a post and it's it's a roll of the dice whether it will get you any return. But if they're, if they're an influencer in your audience and you've identified them through a group that they're commenting on, then that's, that's how I do it. Okay, so this is, you know, in Jen's case, she might have a look and find out that there are five fairly large influencers in the yoga space on... Instagram is probably a good one because they're taking a lot of photos. Um, yeah. Like it's a very visual form. So you would target into one of those influences or a bunch of them and try to basically, you know, merge into their audience and say, here's this product. Like how, how do you get I would, them on but the I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it cold. You'd have to, so those influences would be part of other groups and I'd want them to see my name first somewhere else so that they were like, oh, that's that. Uh, that girl from that group, like where, where she posts about her logo or whatever. Mm. Um, so there are business groups on, and, and Facebook's probably more the conversational part of it. So there are, you know, special interest in business groups and female business groups and female startup business groups on Facebook. I would probably go there and I'd, I'd find who I want to talk to and I'd, I'd do a bit of Insta stalking to figure out who they are and where they are. And I would go to individuals before I necessarily went for a business collab, but a business collab would then be the next step after you've done some personal influences. Mm. Um, another thing that I liked about the episode was I did, had not heard of liftwomen.com. Had you come across those guys before? No. For me, I thought if you're a woman in business, whether it's a side hustle or startup or whatever it is, you would be insane not to look at Lift Women. A crowdfunding platform purely for women-led businesses 
for Australians, the Australian market. Like, that is super niche. I almost feel that, like, there are women on that platform that potentially buy your product because they don't want to necessarily want it, but, like, they want to support a woman and they think it's a great idea. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I I would probably be one of those people. I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily a... Uh, a yogi but I go to Pilates and I go to yoga and I would if I saw something in there that made my life even a little bit easier um, I would support it through there versus anywhere else on the um the yoga festival the other thing there that I thought she could have done with that opportunity is when we've done expos for clients and whatever we look at doing a satellite event um, and most of the clients have already spent their money on the expos so there's little to no budget to do a satellite activation um, but a lot of things are free. You just have to ask the question. So we put a a, a bike in the aquarium um, for one of our clients and did a um, a spin class underwater. Um, and that, I mean, the only cost of that was our time in organising the aquarium. They loved the idea. Um, the client was happy to provide the bike. It was actually near the exhibition centre, so we got the pics up. It went in the Herald Sun. Um, <coughs> so for something like Jen where she was already there, I would I would be looking at maybe like a, a local activation to support what she'd already spent on being in the expo. And it's a lot for, a, you know, a one-person show to off the back of an expo. They're huge days. Don't get me wrong. They're, I, they're exhausting. Um, but maybe the day before the expo or the day after or um, she, she could do something in the park with where she'd set up, you know, like 100 yoga mats or just something visual to get a picture. People don't know what a satellite event is. This is basically, you're doing the the, the main show, the so the yoga festival or whatever, yep. and then in a local park just down the road. Or a bit local business you could collab with who might be interested to do it because they want to pull people in as well, like look for the multi-benefit approach, I guess. So, yeah, like a, a local cafe might do something. They might hang. God, they might have taken, you know, a um, hundred of the buckles and, and hung them from their roof as a installation. I you don't you don't know until you start thinking about these ideas and you could also just we've done we've invited influencers down to come to our event as an activation so we did a, a floating yoga class on the uh on the yarra and so we hired a boat and put in a whole heap of mats and we had a, a whole heap of influencers come along and do a floating it was it was australia's first floating yoga class um yeah okay and that is that the angle that gets the media in like the yeah. side that it not only the media, not only like traditional print media and, and television media, we had channel channel nine or seven on board, but the influencers all wanted to come because they got they got to come and be part of something very cool. And we, we offered tickets just to the local community. And so in a lot of those instances, a lot of the local yoga groups were happy to share it because they were giving their followers something very unique to come and do. So I guess the challenge here for someone like Jen would be what type of event can I have that isn't hiring a boat that's going to cost me a bunch of money? Because like that's correct. That, that, uh, that's yeah. going to cost a bunch of money, right? So that, that client clearly had some dollars to spend on an event and well, drum up business. Well, so that's well, actually, it didn't cost anything. The boat company did it for free because they got the publicity out of it. And that's the thing. Sometimes you don't ask, you don't get. So we went to the boat company and said, here's what we want to do. We've got a pro surfer. Admittedly, not everyone has a pro surfer. The one in Melbourne didn't have necessarily someone of that um, standing, it was maybe a couple of influences, but the the boat company came to the party with that as well. So I think it's I think it's a combination. It's it's dreaming big and having an idea, 
but it's also not putting too much pressure on yourself, but it's also asking the question to see what's possible. And a lot of the times, a lot of these companies will come and cover the fuel costs and the and the master costs and the, the fees to get up the river because they get the coverage out of it as well, and which is how we position it to them. What's the prop, What's the value proposition to them? Well, it's it's a very open conversation. Most mostly, you go through marketing teams. They know they know how the media works. They know it's a bit of a roll of the dice whether they will get the coverage or not. But it's it's including them in the media release. It's including them in the pitch to the media, and and we're not afraid to do that because we generally are very thankful and um, <clears throat> appreciative of their support. So that's that's part of it. Um, but but part of it is just thinking about from their perspective what they're going to gain from it and and offering it to them. But more, more in gens, like that's that's getting bigger scale and that's a lot of logistics for one person to start up. That's, you know, a big company with a big PR firm doing a lot of things. Uh, that particular yoga festival, I would have been looking for a local cafe and I like I would have done the clips, the straps and done some kind of installation. And people would walk in, they would leave the yoga festival, they'd look for their coffee locally and they'd walk into a local coffee shop and go, what are all these things hanging from the, what is this? Um or build a tree out of them or something and install it in a local coffee shop. And then I'd be telling everyone at the yoga festival that I've got an installation down at X Cafe if you want to come down and mm. see it. And that's the benefit for the cafe that you would say to them, you do this installation, I'll send every person that comes through my stand to come down and have a look at it. Yeah, okay. I guess the other one there is you could literally use the uh, the buckle, the token thing as that she's made at apply. If she was mm. to do like if you had a batch of those that were the first batch or something, you could almost use those as tokens to take to the co- ca- a cafe yeah. to like get your coffee. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Right. And then. So, and it, I think it's simple add-ons that like that, that get you an authentic database because you, you're connecting with people and that's the whole point of PR and that's the whole point of database building. You actually need to connect to people and make them want to buy it. You make them be part of your story make them feel your success. And, and those people that were there at inception at the first yoga festival, they'll go on to be the biggest advocates and influence of the brand because they'll feel like they're part of the story. Is there something that Jen should do to energize those people? For instance, should be, should she keep them in the journey? Like, hey guys, like, you know, many of you, we met at the festival, and this could be an email in MailChimp or something like that. Uh, we met you at the festival, you've signed up for this thing, you know, we've launched, we've had this successful campaign, you know, we're sort of like, how do you bring them on the journey and keep them energized and make them an advocate? I, I think being, being, uh, incorporating them is, is important. And I also think that's where her social media channels need to fire up to, to support that. So, um, if she's telling that story on socials, then you're encouraging people to follow them. So in that MailChimp, I'd be saying, come follow our journey over here and whichever is a preferred database, try and grow that single platform. Do you think, this is just a my own interest, do you think it's more important to build a social following where you're reliant on a large company's algorithm or do you think it's more important to build, say, email subscriber lists where you're in complete control of the communication? I, I actually think it's both. I don't think you can choose one or the other in today's world. And I see that from big companies. They hedge their bets. They invest in both. Mm. They've got their active email database and they invest heavily in social because while you are at the whim of a, a major social company, today it's working. Today it's 25% of revenue. So it, it 
For some of our big companies, they, they generate 25% of all their revenue from Instagram. And we're talking big purchase items, like big purchase items, things that you wouldn't think somebody on social media would go and buy now. Yeah. Um, something else I really liked about Jen, she said about making emotional decisions. And it wasn't, she wasn't saying like just a completely emotional decision, but how to approach making a decision that includes your emotional reaction. I don't know if you recall that part, but she basically said... I do. And I remember thinking it's it's an interesting for me because it's passion versus heart. And this is where we I'm different to Jen. My business has grown through logic and business brain because it's not a side hustle. Yeah. My business is my primary business. So it it's actually something <clears throat> that I don't fully understand because I don't live that every day and I don't... So it's, it's interesting. And I, I actually have always said... I feel like people that have passion projects are more willing to take risks because they they have emotion in it. And I've always thought if there was a day in my own business where I wasn't so strategic about it and I just did what my emotions told me to do, we, we would be a very different looking business. Yep. Um, looking forward for you know Jen and this this style of business, um, she has the trust of her audience. She has like. She clearly has an amazing character. I think like her her authenticity really screams through. Like the way she approaches, she's present. She is articulate. She is thoughtful around just you know things like sustainability and manufacturing locally. So someone can do a hard day's work and get paid for their their day as opposed to ten cents an hour. Yeah, I did love that part of the story. I and so if we take all of that and we think of the future for her business. Um, have you got any ideas about like her next step? Like there's obviously energizing and promoting further what she's done, but most people at this point also tend to start bolting on a few extra things. Like you're on the website, you're about to buy the yoga strap. What else is the suggested or recommended item to add to your basket that increases her profit well, and revenue? One of the things I thought of is, is she, is she stocking with anybody is probably because people are obviously selling and there are some really cool yoga mats out there already. Like there are recycled ones and there are ethically made ones. Um, how can she become an add-on to those people that already have a strong database that are already invested in that? Or is she interested in developing her own line of products that like the full gamut of options? And if she's not, then I'd be leveraging people that already have that. But there are, like, like I said, the yoga mats is one that I definitely know of. I'd be approaching those guys and saying, can we add this onto your website? And then she might start getting that volume of sales too. Okay, so basically she can B2B the product and start selling to other businesses that then are selling you know, their yoga mat and a strap to their customers. So it's a, they're bundling and she basically, she'll lose some margin on this, but at the same time, like it'll get her volumes up and hopefully bring her costs down. Um, margin, but not control, which I think is important because I think she's picking who she's partnering with and they can be, they can meet all of her criteria for ethically, sustainably produced. Yeah. The other one that I had thought of, which is quite common out in the world is energizing a sales force. So using like a referral program. So she goes to all these yoga schools and yogis all around the country, the yoga teachers all around the country and they are in the prime position to see students that are learning that could benefit from using a yoga strap. And if she had a referral program in place where they actually get a slice of the action, um, I don't know how the yoga world would respond to that, but I, generally speaking, people, if, you, if you're gonna hand over, you know, it might be 10, $15 per strap as a referral. 
and these people just get like a, a link or a, a code that the person buys with that could be a way of like energizing a hundred yoga teachers around the country to start selling this product for her and it costs her zero dollars up front to to do that was one that i had written down um halo products only little bits i had written down were she she's because she's quite small she's not going to get into full-blown crazy manufacturing but i kind of thought well what do yoga people use like they need a bag some type of towel or like maybe you could do like a towel wrap that goes around your mat you slide it in and it tethers up to the strap and so you've got somewhere to put your keys you put your mat in there and you've got a towel if you're sweaty or you want to lie down at the end and put her under your neck or something and that well and i guess too she's I know she talked about her backpack and all sorts of things. I'm not a commuter. So I, when I go to yoga, I just take what I need. Um, so I'd say a pocket somewhere in the strap for keys or a card or something. If there was something, you know, everyone loves their pockets. Yeah. Um, Which you see, I've seen on Kickstarter and places like that, you see yoga pants that are like, you know, super stretchy, breathable, hopefully anti-fart devices. That, that, um, <laughs> they do have pockets, but I don't love using them because I find they stretch and then you sit in the car and you sit on your keys and even with your phone in the side, sometimes your phone creeps up and you certainly don't leave it in there while you're doing yoga. Yeah. Um, you end up pulling it out, putting it to the side or something. So if my strap had my keys attached to it somewhere or a little pocket for my card or whatever. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I thought even like a headband. So like for people that are doing it, if, if they're sweating like there's people who do hot yoga like maybe there's like a headband that holds your hair back I don't, and and you know you can slide five bucks in it in a key I, I don't know I just to me I feel like I want to get to the checkout and I want to start adding in one or two little pieces these aren't big pieces these are sort of extra five ten dollar things that just extract a, a little bit more value out of the customer but are just a nice add-on to kind of complement the purchase of the strap that was kind of my, because you've already won the customer, you've won their trust, they've opened their wallet, mm. they're pulling out the credit card, they're paying 60 plus dollars. At that point, an extra 15, 20 dollars is very conceivable, like it's conceivably quite easy for them to do. And that's why mm. Amazon and every other platform does that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess that was probably... Probably even like, I mean, you're talking specific yoga products but there are a lot a bunch of lifestyle products that come with that too like candles and incense and all that type of stuff too so there there's there is go and and those type of products even as a mum of four kids i find i buy them opportunistically i'm not necessarily brand committed but if i'm somewhere and i see something like that for five or ten dollars i tend to buy it to put into the teacher bag to give to gifts or thank you presents or whatever they're not necessarily purpose-driven purchases they're just opportunistically adding them to cart mm. jen probably would benefit from if she becomes like a platform that you know people know that she's sustainable ethical etc that she would want to stay in that same mindset so that people basically come to realize that if they buy from her website it will be what it, it ticks all of those boxes so it's like it's a safe place to shop. I don't have to read the fine print to realize, oh, this is a, mm. a candle that's full of toxins and, you know, is going to, yeah. And I guess that entirely depends on the journey she wants to take. Does she want to be that storefront and, and collect and, and be, be a stockist or does she want to be stocked somewhere else and keep doing what she does? Um, and and that, that's the big question of starting a side hustle. How far do you want to take it? And which way do you want to go? Yeah, what are our goals for scaling up, scaling down, you know? Yeah, is the goal to have it listed 
and stocked by major major fitness companies or is it to stock sustainable brands with you with her yeah yeah um any final words um as much as i'm not about having a rule book i'm all about having a pr plan <laughs> i have to say that i believe in content circles whatever she's collecting and generating from day dot she should be banking that into her marketing plan so she's got that data there for recall at a later date as she goes you know even when she's doing interviews like with you um and so I would, I would encourage any startup to sort of collect that information as they go because it, it, it's hard to remember later and go back later. <clears throat> if you've been collecting it as you go, it's there to use. Yeah, okay, that's good advice. And I think probably having your plan out for the next 30 days or 60 days, for instance, you know, this, this podcast is going to launch on International Women's Day. We've chosen this podcast, this episode in particular, because it is Jen and she's used liftwomen.com to launch her product. And that is a particular strategy of, you know, using a planner to look at certain events that are coming up to go, how can I tie in with that? And this is literally coming back to what I said earlier, transfer of audience. So mm. this podcast hopefully finds its way into you know, the ears of, you know, women that are interested in business because it's appeared in a feed somewhere. And here they are listening to this and hopefully they're subscribing to the podcast. So that is probably something that everybody in a hustle can take forward in their planning that you said about having a PR plan and tying it in. And, and I think Jen's amazing. <clears throat> I think it's, it's been passion first. She's like you said, she's been resourceful. She's figured stuff out. And that is the true art. I think of any business. And I said at the start, there is no rule book. You just have to find what works and keep trying. On that note, we'll uh, wrap up and thanks for your time. Thanks Matt. And we wish uh, Jen and uh, 108yogaroad.com the best of luck into the future. You've been listening to the Sideshow Hustle Podcast.